Verse one, here's what God's word says. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature, like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Isn't that awesome? Gets even better as we move through chapter 5 also. And so remember, what does revelation mean? To reveal, to uncover. It is the revealing, the unveiling of Jesus Christ in all of his splendor, all of his majesty. Um, We should see Jesus more clearly and with greater understanding as we study this book. And also we learn the appropriate response to seeing Jesus also, don't we? We see in this chapter, what's the response to the one on the throne? Awe right? There's worship, there's wonder, there's inspiration also as well. And so um, before we dig into this, remember Jesus gave us an outline for the entire book of Revelation, didn't he? Jesus gave us an outline for the entire book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 
I'm going to flip back there. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 19. Let's flip over there. I think without this outline, you can't understand this book. It wouldn't make sense. But with the outline, it helps us understand the entire book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus says to John the Apostle, where was John at, by the way? Patmos, that's right. He said, Jesus said to John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And so Jesus says to John, number one, here's the first part of our outline, right? Write down the things which you have seen. That was chapter one. What did John see? That vision of Jesus Christ, right? Seeing Jesus in his glory, in his majesty. And then second part of the outline, he says to write down the things which are. That was chapter 2 and chapter chapter 3, right? Jesus gave report cards, seven of them, to literal churches that existed in John's day. But we realize the church didn't end in John's day, did it? The church goes all the way till today also. And so it's a sweeping prophecy that covers the entire church age um, in chapter 2 and 3. And then he also says, third, he says to write down the things which will take place after this. And as you begin uh, to look at chapter 4, that phrase after this is used two times at the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse. And so the things that will take place after this, after the church age, once the church age ends, then all of these things that we're going to look at from chapter 4 all the way to 22 are going to happen. And so these are future events that we're going to be looking at this morning and um, as we continue to study together the book of Revelation. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the beauty of heaven We see the Lord high and lifted up. We see the church also worshiping there with these interesting looking creatures we just read about. Worship going on, awesome stuff happening in heaven. But then in chapter 6 through 19, so 4 and 5, the beauty of heaven. Chapter 6 through 19, the ugliness and pain on earth. Why? Because that's the period of the Great Tribulation. Seven years of tribulation are coming for planet Earth. And I think it's beautiful just to be reminded the church is already in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. How does that happen? Rapture, thank you. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And then in chapter, tw- in chapter 19, Jesus comes back, right? The door in heaven opens up again, like we see it open here. It opens up again, and Jesus comes, and he sets up his kingdom. Who's with him, by the way? We are, what are we riding? Harleys, what are we riding? Horses, we're riding horses, starts with H, horses, we're cruising on horses. I don't know how to ride a horse, but I can't wait to find out. We're going to come with Jesus, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth for how long? Thousand years, otherwise known as the millennial reign. Is that when millennials will reign? No, that's not when the millennials will reign. Jesus will be the only one reigning, ruling and reigning. We get to partake in his ruling and reigning. I don't know what that means, but it's going to be cool. And then chapter 20, we see the millennial reign. And then 21 and 22, a new heaven, a new heavens and the new earth. And just to stop and pause and think about that for a minute, we are going to be with our father when he creates something out of nothing. 
Just let that kind of wash over you. I mean, just think about that. Isn't that amazing? We're going to stand there, and our dad's going to create something out of nothing, new heavens and a new earth. So we're going to get to that. But in any event, John, remember, John is doing his best to describe the things that he's seeing. He hasn't seen these things before, but he's trying. He's using the word like and as. It was like this or as that. And so he's doing his best to describe for us the things that he is seeing and hearing. Remember the Apostle Paul, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had some kind of experience going to heaven, and he said, it was unlawful for me to say the things that I heard. I couldn't, I can't even, I couldn't even say those things that I heard. And so John, though, gives us the opportunity to see what's going on in the throne room in heaven. Well, look at verse 1 with me. After these things, John says, I looked. And after these things um, is the Greek phrase, metatauta. It's the first phrase of verse one and the last phrase of verse one also. And so we must, we have to ask ourselves after what things? After what things? Again, after the church age, after these things, John's going to see future things. Um, The scene will shift from earth now to heaven. And so John looks and he says, behold, or check it out. What does John see? A door standing open in heaven. And so there's no Peter standing there at the pearly gates. It is a door open. And, And I think it reminds me, you guys remember in Acts chapter seven, Stephen, remember Stephen when he got stoned and he looked up into heaven, heaven opened up. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Every other time we see Jesus, or see seated at the right hand of the Father, I think he was waiting to welcome Stephen home, ready to welcome him into the throne room, into the kingdom. And so there's a picture here that we see as we look at this. John sees this glorious entrance into heaven, a door open into the very presence of God. Can I remind us this morning, heaven's real? Heaven is real, hell is real, and Jesus is the door. He is the way to get into heaven. He is not one of many doors, he is the door. We enter in through him, through Jesus Christ. And so this door is open, and notice what he, uh, John says, what he hears next. He says he hears a voice that sounded like what? What does your Bible say? Sound like a what? Like a trumpet. What does a trumpet sound like? Loud, loud and clear. John hears something loud and clear, and it's the voice of the Lord. If you're taking notes, you can look at it later. Chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. John's hearing the same voice he heard when he saw Jesus, this voice as of a trumpet or like a trumpet. And what does the Lord say to him? The Lord says, come up here. It's time to go. Time to come on up. I'm going to show you things that will take place after this again after what metatauta after the church age what's what's going to come after the, at the church, end of the church age the rapture of the church jesus said jesus said let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's good news this morning, isn't it? Is that like amenable stuff or... That's awesome. Jesus says, I'm coming for you. I'm preparing a place for you right now, and I'm going to come get you before wrath is poured out upon planet Earth. And he's going to come with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, a trumpet, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be forever with him. And we are called to do what? To comfort one another with those words. Are you comforted this morning? Hopefully. I want to be obedient to the word of God. That com- should be a comfort to each and every one of us. And so, by the way, in chapters 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned on earth. In fact, the word church is not mentioned all the way to the end of the book in chapter 22. And that's a great, I think, another great example of the church being removed before the seven-year period known as the tribulation. Oh, we will read about saints. There are saints mentioned in chapter 6 through 19, but they are totally distinct from the church. There will be Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, that will get saved during the tribulation, and they will be known as the tribulation saints. And so let's look at verse 2. Immediately, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, what happened? John says, I was in the Spirit. In other words, he was supernaturally transported to heaven, and he says, check it out, behold, a throne set in heaven. What's the first thing John sees? Starts, starts with T, rhymes with groaned. <laughs> throne. The first thing he sees is a throne. And we're going to see that word throne is used 12 times in 11 verses. So everything in this whole picture in heaven is, revolves around the throne and the one who is seated on the throne. Psalm 11 verse 4 tells us the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all got a glimpse into this throne room, but John is the one that got transported and brought right into the very throne of God. And so everything John sees is in relation to the throne. And what captivated John was God. Look at the next part of the verse. A throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. In verse 8, by verse 8, we know it's the Lord God Almighty. And can I just, a couple of observations. There is one person sitting on the throne. There's not a democracy. There's not a first lady sitting on the throne with him. The throne is not empty. It's not vacant. God is not pacing back and forth, wondering if things are going to work out. He knows how it's going to roll out, and he told us so. Isn't that amazing? Did that amaze anybody here this morning? God's telling us how the future is going to roll out. And for us, it's good news, isn't it? Is it good news this morning? Because of what Jesus did for us. Because he gave his life that we might have life. And so um, the throne is a reminder of God's sovereignty, that he's in control. It's a reminder of his authority, of his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. God reigns. God reigns. God reigns over the nations. It says God sits on his holy throne. Jeremiah 17, 12, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place 
of our refuge. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Do you know that we, in our prayers, in our fellowship with the Lord, we get to boldly come before this throne? I mean, that's amazing to consider because of what Jesus did for us. And I think it's a great reminder that the Lord is on. Do you know the Lord's in control this morning? Do you believe that this morning? Because as Christians, we come off as so stressed out sometimes, so full of anxiety, like chickens with our head cut off, stressed out, anxious. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Listen, is, is Biden on the throne? Putin? Is Putin on the throne? Little rocket man from North, not North Carolina. I was say North Carolina. North Korea. Is he on the throne? Congress? The House? Who's on the throne? Yeah, the Lord is. We can, take, we can take a big, deep L.A. fitness breath this morning together. That should cause us to say, it's going to be okay. He's in control. He is sovereign. If you've entrusted your life to his care, he said that he's going to work all things together for good in your life. That should cause us to say, okay, it's going to be all right. I know where I'm headed. The Lord, I, I now have a reservation in heaven because it's been bought for me by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I don't need to be stressed out or freaking out, but to abide in Jesus. When we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? And so forth. And so, man, we need to be connected and be reminded of heaven that the Lord is in control. He is on the throne. Cling to him. Look to him. Verse 3, John describes the one seated on the throne. Again, he's doing his best here. And he says, and he who sat there was like a jasper. And so he's doing his best to describe the Lord on the throne. And he's using, there's all these amazing colors in heaven. And by the way, that's why I wear Hawaiian shirts, because it reminds me of heaven. And if you spill on it, it just enhances the brilliance. But it's in Jasper. We're going to see that uh, the Jasper stone mentioned later in chapter 21. And, and it says it's clear as crystal. So, so perhaps the idea here is, is a diamond. Is it, John's trying his best to describe. Uh, the Lord looks like a diamond. And a diamond has the ability. Um, you guys know diamonds are a girl's best friend, right? They have the ability to capture light and flash it brilliantly with displays of color and um, they beautifully reflect light. And then the second uh, stone that John used to describe the Lord is a sardius stone. And some believe that's a flesh-colored stone, but most commentators, Bible teachers believe it, it was a ruby red color. And a lot of people try to talk about, well, this represents this, and this represents that, this stone and that stone. And and I get it. You don't need to come to me afterwards and tell me about the high priest's breastplate, the first and last stones. I get it. But I don't want us to miss the brilliance and beauty of heaven. John, John didn't stop and say, this is what this means. And this, he's just trying to describe the Lord for us. Here's what I saw. This beautiful, beautiful, these beautiful colors and uh, the flashes of colors and, and so forth. And it's interesting because we're told Jesus said... Um, 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God said to Moses, um, no, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. No man, John wrote, no man has seen God at any time, but the Son, right, the only begotten Son, has revealed the Father to us. John would write in his first epistle, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Maybe John even wrote 1 John after this, after Revelation, after he had seen the Lord high and lifted up and said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so again, John's doing his best, and he goes on, he talks about a rainbow, right? And circling the throne was a rainbow that had a green hue to it. And, and by the way, all rainbows are circles. Did you guys know that? Anybody know that this morning? All rainbows are circles. What are you trying, are you trying to, all triangles are triangles. The problem is we don't see the whole, we see just an arc so often and we draw pictures and what's at the end usually? Pot of gold, thank you. But if you're in an airplane looking down at a rainbow, you can see the circle of it. And sometimes the reflection of the airplane is right in the center of the rainbow. You can Google it and check it out. Not everything on Google is truth, by the way. Just a disclaimer. But so, so John sees this rainbow encircling the throne, and the rainbow is a reminder, isn't it? Genesis chapter 9, wasn't it a reminder of God's faithfulness to keep his covenant, to keep his promises? And I think, here, we're going to see in a moment, this is the church in heaven, they're worshiping the Lord, and here's this rainbow as a reminder of God's faithfulness, not only to get us to heaven, he got us there, hallelujah, but he also got us out before the wrath came, before he poured out wrath upon this earth, because Jesus absorbed the wrath that we deserved for our sins. And so, look what happens next, verse 4, encircling the throne, what did John see? More thrones. 24 of them with 24 elders that were seated. And so the question is, who are these 24 elders? Some people say angels. Some people say the, the 12 tribes, all of them, the 12 disciples, and so forth. I believe personally, and, and I think we'll find out in just a moment why, I, I think that they represent God's people, the great company of the redeemed, those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, John doesn't give us, he doesn't define who they are, but he describes them for us. So let's look at how he describes them and see if we can come to a conclusion about who they are. So elders, they're elders, right? Isn't that what it says? 24 elders. So an elder in the New Testament speaks of someone with maturity that are involved in leadership is the idea. And we learn that these elders, they worship God. We're going to see in chapter 5, they have harps. They have bowls of incense also representing the prayers of the saints. They're continually worshiping and, and right around the throne. They have crowns also. But let's notice first it says that they are sitting. They have thrones to sit on. If you're taking notes, you can actually look up uh, Revelation 3.21. Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminded the church, so awesome, he said that God already sees you and I seated in the heavenlies. So believers will be seated in heaven. Okay, let's see what else it says here. They're clothed, what are they wearing? White robes. Chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 5, Jesus said, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments or white robes, which represents the very righteousness of Jesus Christ that he imputes to us, to our account. Well, what else do we notice here? They had crowns of gold on their heads. They had these victor's crowns, not royal uh, diadem crowns, but they're, they're like the ones that were given to the Olympic athletes when they won their event. They would be given these special crowns. And so, does the Bible talk about us getting crowns anywhere? Sure does. Chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Beautiful. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talked about each one of us running the race, right? We all have our own race. With, with, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we are, to, we are to look at it as if we were training for the very Olympics themselves, the way we handle things, the way we handle our, our minds, our bodies, and all of that. We want to we win, and we want to run in such a way that we win the race and then receive the crown is the idea and by the way, if these folks have received their crowns, that means the judgment seat of Christ has already happened. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, you can look it up on your own. And 2 Timothy. The judgment seat of Christ is when believers receive their rewards for what they did being faithful to God's call on their life with what they've been given, motivated by love. And I think it's amazing that God would give us crowns, would give us rewards for what he does in and through our lives. What a deal, huh? Where do I sign up for that? It's just like, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want to do, hallelujah. I want to get one of these crowns. I don't want like a little hat with a twirly on top. I want a crown. Well, why 24? And you really go, okay, whoa, whoa, time out. I get that. I get the, 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 the crowns, the outfits, they're seated, the thrones. But what about 24? I think, again, this is my own opinion, 24 is a representative group. And so when we study our Bibles, we are to compare Scripture with Scripture. I've said from the very beginning of our Bible study in Revelation, there are over 550 references back to the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles 24 and 25, you can check it out later. Remember King David was putting together the priests and the worship team there for uh, the future temple, for the tabernacle at that time. And there were lots of priests, weren't there? But there were lots of priests at that time. There were. There's a bunch of them. So what did he do? He, he chose, appointed 24 elders to represent the entire priesthood. He divided the priests up into 24 courses. So they would be on a rotation because if you had thousands of priests all trying to do the work of the ministry, how would that work out? Would it be orderly? Would it be decently in order? No, it would be chaos, man. 
And so David did that so that there would be order in the house of God. And so 24 would represent the entire priesthood, all the priesthood, who represented all of Israel too, by the way. Similarly here, I think, the 24 represent the whole heavenly priesthood. In chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Jesus said, it says about Jesus that he made us kings and priests unto, unto God and our Father. Um, the elders are the heavenly saints surrounding the Lord in glory. Romans eight seventeen, we are joint heirs with Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 12, we will reign with him. And I think there's um, further identification too by the song that they sing. If you look at chapter 5, look at with me, verse 8. Yeah, pastor, that sounds good, man. You know, the, the, the crowns, the outfits, the, the thrones, sitting. I get 24, okay. Check, it, check this out. There's only one group of people that can sing this song. Now, when he had taken the scroll, we'll see that next week, the four living creatures and the, who? 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus each having a harp with distortion and golden bowls full of incense. What are those? Which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What's the song? And by the way, we're going to learn lots of songs. This is another one. Please learn these songs because when we get to heaven, we're going to sing these songs. And you don't want to be sitting going, what is this one? You don't want to look like a country bumpkin. And if they ask you if you went to Calvary Chapel, West Houston, don't, if you don't know the songs, don't tell them you came here. Calvary Friendswood. That's where I went. <laughs> just a joke. Just kidding. But look, look at the song. And they sang a new song saying what? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. Who's, who's it speaking of? Jesus. And have redeemed us to God by your blood. Do we have any redeemed people in here this morning? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I love our church. I love this family for so many different reasons. One of the reasons is that every time I look out from this pulpit, I see every tribe, tongue, and nation represented in this place. And it's a, mir it's mirac it's a little snapshot of heaven. <laughs> little taste of heaven. And, there's more, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There's only one group of people that can sing that, correct? 24 elders are singing this tune, right? Representative of the whole group. That's you and I, gang. There's no other explanation, in my opinion. And you are entitled to your own distorted opinion. If you think it's different, verse 5. But I have the microphone, so that's what I'm going to say. And from the throne proceeded what? Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. You guys ever been around light, thunder and lightning? Anybody been, came close to them? Were you totally chill or was it pretty spooky? It's frightening, isn't it? Oh, some people it's exciting. And so flashes of light, loud booming and communication are going on. Heaven is loud, active, wild. We will have glorified ears at this time, by the way. 
Some people say, man, you guys listen to music so loud and worship there at Calvary Chapel. And man, you got drums and guitars. And we're preparing you for heaven. We're thinking about you. So you'd be ready for this. It's loud. And heaven is an active place. It's not boring. You're not going to need your iPhone, play games, to keep you occupied. But I think there's something else here. And as we study the rest of the book, we're going to see um, there's awe associated with the throne. Impressive, fearful sights um, were introduced to the place where judgment comes from God's throne from heaven. And I think personally, again, it's my own opinion, I think the storming stuff that's going on, um, it is a precursor to the storm that's going to come upon planet Earth during the tribulation period. Thunderings and lightnings. God's judgment will, will be coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. And so all of these things are going on. But then notice also in verse 5, it says, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. What are they? Well, he tells us which are the seven spirits of God. And we've seen this reference to the Holy Spirit earlier. And remember, it's another reference back to the Old Testament, Isaiah you're taking notes, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. It speaks of the fourfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you think about the Holy Spirit, he, he manifests himself in different ways, doesn't he? He came upon Jesus like a, he came upon Jesus like what? A dove, right? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit came upon the church and it looked like what? cloven tongues of, of fire. And so here we see seven lamps. The Holy Spirit is seen tangibly as seven lamps. And so a depiction of the Holy Spirit in his totality. Verse six, before the throne. I love this. A, like a sea of glass. Like crystal. So right in front of God's throne, John sees this amazing, vast floor of glass that look like crystal, I would say that's pretty peaceful. As far as you could see, glass. Not waves, not ripples, just like a sea of glass. The Bible says in Luke 19, 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's also peace in heaven. So with all of the lightnings and thunderings and the voices, there's also this sense of calm all the way through. Otherwise, it wouldn't be heaven, would it? be like being caught. You guys like traffic? Anybody like traffic? I don't. The Lord uses it in my life, though, often. <laughs> because listen, listen, do you, are you experiencing heaven's peace this morning? Let's come back to this again. Let's, let's revisit this. Because if you're not, can I encourage you to draw near to the Lord this morning? Come to Jesus afresh this morning. He's the Prince of Peace. And he's the one that promised us peace in our lives, no matter what's going on around us, the outward circumstances or the inward emotions. I've come that you might have peace. And we can have his peace. Don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and minds through Christ Jesus. It's coming to the Lord, being connected to him in prayer, in fellowship, in intimacy. And I look at this picture and, and there, heaven's peaceful. All fear is going to be removed and it should be in our lives, shouldn't it? Perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear. And we do have fear sometimes, don't, don't get me wrong. Godly men and women sometimes have fear. David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. And that fear comes into our hearts, and we bring it captive and bring it to the Lord. And we're reminded of, of who he is and his promises in our lives. But I look at this and I say, man, I want, things can be wild in my life and loud around me, but there still can be peace in the midst of all of that, just like in heaven. Well, what's go, what else is going on in heaven? Verse 6, what does it say at the end? 6 and 7. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, what was there? Four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Wow. That's pretty wild, isn't it? You look at them and you're like, wow, you guys are weird looking. They probably look at us and say, you guys are weird looking. (laughs) Only two eyes. (laughs) They don't miss a trick. They don't miss anything. They see everything, right? See everything going on. And then John describes what each living creature looked like in verse 7. He says, like what? Was like a lion. The second one was like a calf. The third had a face like a man. The fourth living creature, like a flying eagle. Let me just throw this out there. There is lots of speculation about these living creatures. I believe they're angels. They sound very similar. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 6. They sound very similar to the angels that the seraphim that Isaiah saw, right? But they also sound like the cherubim from Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. So what are they? I don't know. They, might, they could be a hybrid. They may be one or the other, or they could be some kind of hybrid of the two. I don't know, but we know there's ranks of angels. There's Michael the archangel. Gabriel, what was he? The angel of birth announcements, I think. And some of you get that later. It's totally cool. But they do not, look at this, they do not rest day or night. They go without sleep or naps. They're nonstop. And what are they saying? Holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They are constantly talking about God, singing about God, His holiness. What else? His power, His majesty, His eternal nature. He always was. He always was God, always will be God. He is present. He is alive. He's living, governing now. He's going to return to this earth. He's the one who is to come. Holiness. He is, he's the creator and everything else is creation. Totally separate. He is holy, without sin. He's perfect. I mean, isn't that amazing just to think the only reason we're going to be even in this scene is because he shed his perfect blood for you and for me. And these beings... Angels, seraphim, cherubim, cerebims, whatever they might, hybrid. They've been around for thousands of years and they continue to passionately worship the Lord. 
They cannot stop talking about how amazing God is, how awesome he is. So there's continual worship flowing. They may even be the worship leaders, because look at this. Periodically, they give special glory, honor, and thanks, and something happens. Look at verse 9 and 10. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, our eternal God, the 24 elders, what do they do? Fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And so these four living creatures, so what are they doing? Day and night, they're worshiping, they're celebrating God, they're praising him. And then all of a sudden, whenever they go, they say this certain, there's a certain cue to give glory and honor and thanks, what happens? The 24 elders bow down before God who sits on the throne. What does that mean when you bow down to someone? Isn't it an act of recognizing the the authority? (laughs) There's a submission, but there's also an acknowledgement of the Lord's greatness. Lord, thank you. You're the only reason I'm here in this picture, that I get to enjoy this. Your amazing grace. There's no other explanation for it, but you, you saved me. You rescued me. You forgave me. You gave me this opportunity to be in heaven with you for all eternity. And notice what else they do. They declare what? They worship God who lives forever and ever. They declare God is worthy as they celebrate him. And then they toss their crowns Before the Lord who sits on the throne. Why do they cast their crowns? Why why are we going to cast our crowns? To give him glory? Amen. I think in honor and recognition, again, that except by God's grace, his love, sacrifice, salvation, goodness, that we could never have the victory over sin and death and be in this scene at all. It's by his grace. God, you get the credit. Lord, you did this through me. I'm just laying this at your feet. You are worthy of this. All I have is because of you, Lord. They're passionately worshiping the Lord. We have no place in this scene except by God's grace. What what are they saying? What are we going to be singing? Verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord. You're worth it. We see they're, they're worshiping. Worship, and you guys know this, it comes from an old English word that means worth-ship. Worship is declaring, God, you're worth it. You're worth all of my affection. You're worth all of my attention. You're worth all of my praise. You are worth all of my adoration. You are worth all of my life. You're worth my obedience. You're worth my trust. I trust you. You're worthy. That's what worship is. It's not just when we come in here and sing a couple songs and say that's preparation for the Bible study. Worship begins at home. When you roll out of bed and open your eyes and say, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for giving me this eyesight, for giving me this beautiful taste so I can taste that Starbucks double macchiato, whatever you have. Thank you, Lord, for these legs that enable me to walk. Thank you for this awesome wife, this awesome bride, these kiddos. 
this family. Thank you for giving me a roof over my head. That's worship. I'm saying, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth my thanks, my praise, my very life. You're worth me showing up on time for church, not just for the Bible study, but to sing songs to you. You're worth it, Lord, taking the step of faith to forgive that person. That's worship. Worship encompasses everything, gang. It's not just a few songs we sing and then put on KSBJ and sing some other tunes. It's our whole life. It's saying, Lord, you're worth it. You're worthy of everything to receive glory. When we say we want to glorify God, what does that mean? It means to make God look good. That's what glorying is. Lord, you're worthy to receive glory. We want you to look good, not us. We want you. Like John the Baptist said, I must be decreasing, he must be increasing. Not only that, he's worthy of what? Honor. Lord, you're the one that we want to honor, to exalt, to lift up. We lift up ourselves, that's the quick ticket to go down. You're worthy of all power, Lord. Thank you for the strength. You would share your strength with us. I can't believe it. Isn't that what Jesus said? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Lord, thank you. God, thank you. You're worth it. You're worth trusting in your strength. My strength's a joke. I need you. And then notice kind of the why. For you created how many things? How much is all? All. He's the sovereign creator. We owe our very existence to God. And not just that, he's the sovereign sustainer. Look at the next thing, next part of the verse. And by your will, they exist. All your creation exists by your will. For your will, for your desire, for your pleasure. In other words, he's the one that's upholding our next breath. Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the one. Lord, thank you for upholding me. Thank you for allowing me to suck air another day. Thank you for upholding my marriage, for upholding my family, upholding your church. Lord, you uphold all things by the word of your power. But notice something else here. By your will or by your pleasure, they exist and, what What does it say? And were created. All things are created by him and for him. Do you know that you were created for him? What's life all about, man? Can't figure it out. You're created for God. For an intimate relationship with him. Every single day to be led by a good shepherd. And you can either surrender, accept it, and enjoy it. And what begins to happen? And you begin to walk in the word. Life works, man. Or you can say, no, I, I don't want to hear it. I'm rejecting it. And you know what's going to happen? You'll be frustrated, miserable, and empty. Why? Because you were created to be connected to him in an intimate relationship. Listen, true worship is relinquishing myself into the Lord's hands. Saying, here's my life, Lord. And our flesh kicks against that, right? Our flesh fights against that. I don't want to relinquish nothing. I'm my, own, I'm my own man. I'm the captain of my own ship. No way, Jose. But then what happens? You realize, like Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, I beg you by the mercies of God that you would offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. That's what's pleasing to him. 
that why he says later on in verse 2 that you may know his will. Not being conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you start to spend time with the Lord and you read his word and you realize, man, what's his pleasure? What is his good pleasure? It's number one, Ephesians chapter one, to be his kid. Did you know that? God's, it was God's pleasure to make you his kid. Remember what it says in Ephesians 1. Paul is like giving us a rundown of all the spiritual blessings. I don't have time to read all the verses, but it says in verse 5 of chapter 1, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What made God happy? What makes him happy? To make you and I his kiddos, to make us part of his family. I think about my kids. Why did Tanya and I have kids? To, to worship us? Serve us? Honey, did you see how they did the lawn? We need more of them. <laughs> Come on. They, 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 look at how they prune. And, and we got Luke doing laundry now. Man, a couple more Lukes in this place. We didn't have kids to serve us. I didn't have kids so that they would bring their, bar, my daughters bring their Barbie doll, dolls and say, oh, gracious daddy, here's our, we worship and adore you. But listen, serving the Lord and worshiping him and praising him is a result of our connection to him, of having an intimate relationship. You want to serve him. You want to worship and thank him and praise him and honor him. As you're walking with him, as, as, you, as you realize how faithful, how good he is to you, as you log the history. So, listen, some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time. You have a long history with the Lord, and you know how faithful he is. He's never dropped the ball on you once. He's been nothing but good to you and to me. Even in the gnarly times, the difficult times, he's always been there for us. And you keep walking. And what does it cause you to do? Oh, Lord, thank you. God, thank you. And rather than being after the storm, after the trial, you're praising him, you get in the middle of it and you're like, okay, Lord, hallelujah. I can't wait to see how you're going to work this out because you promised to work all things together for good. I can't wait to see. You know, people come up to me and pray for me and say, this is so gnarly. What's going on, Mike? Can you pray for me? And I pray, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in this situation. It's going to be awesome. What? Pray that I get out of it. Not get out of it, what you're going to get out of it. Because the Lord wants to develop you and develop me. Or be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What could be better than that? As we walk with him, to love him. To walk with him. It's relational. All those things flow, service and praise, all flow from our relationship. And so I think there's a couple of things here. Number one, we rejoice in his sovereignty because we know his sovereignty is on our side. Do you guys know that this morning? His sovereignty is on your side. He's for you. He's working all things together for good in your life and in my life. We can say, Lord, your will be done, your desire. You choose, Lord. That's what his will is, his choice, his desire, or whatever you want to do. And he always gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. 
Last point. Is it like point number 15, Mike? Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Last one. All heaven is inspired to worship God for his creative wisdom and his awesome power. I, I would say, listen, are you still inspired? Are you still inspired? Certain things inspire us, don't they? I, listen, I've been so inspired by people in our church, what God's doing in their lives. It's like, I was inspired yesterday. I got to see an eagle at the park. An eagle here in Houston. The beauty, the majesty. And then cruising along, seeing the wildflowers. You guys check out the, you guys ever consider the flowers? Still? Jesus said, those birds, those flowers, they will preach a sermon to you. Look at how your heavenly father takes care of those birds and clothes the field. How much more valuable are you than birds and flowers? You are of eternal value. He sent his son to pay for you, to save you, to rescue you. But those things around us should inspire us to go, wow, God, you're awesome. I can't wait to see that, what you've got in store. Because it tells us in Ephesians 2, I know I'm overtime, sorry. In Ephesians 2, for all eternity, we're going, to be, we're going to be seeing more and more facets of his grace. Let me finish with that. I'm going to read that. In Ephesians 2, I don't know about you, I am so inspired reading this, being reminded of heaven, where we are to set our minds. Ephesians 2, it says, but God who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come, literally in the Greek, it's, it's, it's age upon age, age upon age, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Over and over, more of his grace, something new, something awesome. Wow, thank you, Lord. Don't let it start when you get to heaven. Can I encourage you? Look what he's doing now all around you. He's such a good father, such a good dad. May we give him all of our worship. May we worship him, like Jesus said, the Father is seeking those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. What else can we say? You're so good, Lord.